You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. Now Hear This is a conversation with leaders in Indianapolis that are working to improve the lives of Hoosiers. Our goal is to empower you to join in their work and make a difference while informing you about the unseen aspects of life in Indiana. If you miss an episode, you can listen via podcast at nowhearthisindy.com. I am very glad to bring the show to you today. I'm very thankful that uh, my high school friend, Lindsay Scott, although that's not how I knew her, uh, is joining us today. She reached out and she is the president and CEO of Kids Voices. Also with us is Katie Kelsey, who is the director of the Children's Law Center of Indiana. On my timeline, there has been a constant flow of questions about parenting time and issues between two uh, parents that may have custody issues. And so we're going to talk a lot about that today. But first, let's talk about what Kids Voices of Indiana does. So, Lindsay, if you wouldn't mind, tell us what does Kids Voices do? Yeah, so Kids Voice of Indiana, um, we are actually celebrating our 35th year in 2020. So we have been around for a long time and we focus on three main areas. So the first one is what you mentioned Katie um, is the director of. So that is our Children's Law Center of Indiana program. And it has a statewide reach and focuses on education and training for anybody. Um, people that are attorneys, people that are social workers that want to be child advocates. Um, so we do a lot of training and education around that. But a big part of that is education and guidance and free legal information for the public. So we have an educational website. We take phone calls to our office. We have free legal clinics when we're able to do them in person. And um, so that is where we really focus on with the Children's Law Center. And then in addition to that, we also have a guardian ad litem program. And we have volunteers that serve as advocates or guardian ad litems for children in Marion County Family Court. And then we also do supervised visitation at our office. And so we provide that service for uh, non-custodial parents and children to see each other when the judge has decided that there has to be a supervisor present. So we offer that at our office as well. And your website is kidsvoicein.org. Their phone number is 317-558-2870. They have a great FAQ on custody parenting time during the COVID-19 pandemic. And you can find that PDF in the show notes, but also at their website. And I will say on behalf of Lindsay Scott and Katie Kelsey, this is not legal advice. This is just a a simple conversation guiding people. Uh, So please, if you have any specific issues, make sure that you contact an attorney. Uh, Having been around friends who have gone through custody battles, Katie, there seems to be one basic guiding principle in uh, the, the mind of judges and the minds of people like yourself. And can you explain what that particular principle is? Yeah, so absent really extraordinary circumstances of, of a parent's own um, bad behavior, it's really in the best interest of children to have frequent and ongoing contact with both their parents. So courts are going to presume it's in a child's best interest to continue as normal with the normal custody arrangement and normal parenting time arrangements. Um, the pandemic doesn't change that. It, um, it may make things more complicated, but it doesn't change that and it doesn't 
make a parent unfit. The law presumes that a parent is a fit parent who can take care of their child. So even if you live in a location with travel restrictions, normal parenting time as outlined by parenting guidelines, which is set by the state or in a custody agreement should be followed. Yes. So the executive order for Indiana specifically provides for um, travel relating to um, dealing with custody and parenting time arrangements as an essential piece of travel. So that you know, is a pretty strong indicator that parenting time and custody arrangements should continue as normal. The executive order also provides that care for minor child is part of an essential activity. So parents should continue on as normal with their normal parenting time arrangements. Lindsay, that doesn't stop some parents from not reading executive orders or from looking this information up. What should a parent do if they show up to pick up their kid or they, they, they're stopped at the door, I'm not picking up the child, you're not allowed to take the kid, You've, you have to continue to go to work? What should a parent do if that situation occurs, in your opinion? So I think that's a, that's a tough question because I think um, it's that is a situation that's very stressful for both parents, but also can be traumatic for the kids. So I think the goal should always be to minimize that trauma and that stress on that child. I think people's first instinct would be to call the police if something like that occurred. And honestly, they have a lot going on during this time. So their ability to be able to assist may be minimized. And oftentimes, they don't really want to get involved in civil issues anyway. I think the best thing to do is really document, you know, what is happening, not by recording. I don't mean that, but I mean, keep real good notes of dates and times and and things like that. So, you know, if there is a certain custody exchange or parenting time that you should have had that you did not get. In addition, the courts are still accepting what we would call an emergency petition regarding something that's going on. So if somebody needs to file something with the court about the inability to see their child or being withheld their child or something to that effect, um, they could definitely contact their attorney or a attorney or our office to get information on how to do that. Um, because, of course, everything is only being filed electronically right now. So I would say, you know, the best thing to do is really try to communicate between the parents. Be flexible. Think about the children's best interests. Obviously, I know things are going to happen, but we want to try to minimize the stress and trauma on everybody involved right now. Okay, so courts for, for these sorts of things are open, but what do you say to either Lindsay Scott, president CEO of Kids Voices of Indiana, or Katie Kelsey, who's the director of the Children's Law Center of Indiana, what do you say to a parent who's concerned about their child's safety or their own safety, and the other parent is someone that is deemed essential, they're, let's say, working in a grocery store or working in landscaping or something, and they're out, they're moving about in this pandemic, and the other parent is concerned about everyone's welfare. Like, how do you deal with that as, uh, how do the courts deal with that, I guess, is the better way to say it. So this is, um, this is kind of a benefit of having a legal community like we have in Indiana, because a lot of 
family law attorneys and judicial officers have had really informal conversations about like, okay, we're in this crazy time. What should we expect? What should we kind of, how should we guide our clients? What, what do you want to see from us judges? And um, we've kind of come to a consensus that, you know, still parenting time and custody should proceed as normal. You should adhere to your orders if there are really complicating factors, like a child is a medically complex child and they've got special concerns, you know, maybe that might be a situation where you need to communicate with the other parent and figure out like, hey, you know, can we figure out another way to, to do this? Should the child come stay with me for a while? Should we figure out a different quarantine period? You know, what kind of safety procedures are we feeling? So the courts are still really wanting to emphasize, you know, that this is a chance for parents to work together and, you know, show their ability to do this. But absent that, you know, they still have the ability to turn to the court and say, we have this true disagreement and emergency. So yeah, you might find situations where one parent is a, is a frontline worker and is constantly getting exposed to this virus. And the other parent legitimately has concerns about exposing the child and their own family unit to it. So that's, you know, that's a concern that if they can't work out together, that may be a good reason to consult an attorney or, or to turn to the court, especially if there are underlying complicating medical issues. But I will say that unilaterally withholding parenting time or you know, taking a child and not returning them to the custodial parent is not going to be looked on favorably by the courts when this is all over. And they will definitely remember what happened. Is that generally considered contempt and something that a judge would look very unfavorably on? Well, I can't, you know, ever predict what a particular judicial officer is going to do. Um, you know, it certainly is a possibility, but in you know, a, these are also really extraordinary times. So a parent's good faith concerns may, may undercut that. So it's, it's very hard to predict, but using it to your advantage, using a situation like this to your advantage is something that's really not going to go over well. Yeah. Um, so and what too, are, just, go ahead, sorry. Lindsay. So just after the executive order was issued, you know, talking about some of the things Katie mentioned about, you know, essential travel and things for custody and parenting time, the Indiana Supreme Court also issued an order um, that basically indicated the same thing. We want to make sure that everyone understands that custody and parenting time and child support for that matter should stay the same. And it really indicates at the end that you know, if you can't pay your child support, if you have legitimate concerns about the safety of your children, then, you know, the courts are the, the source to get the help for that. And they basically make a statement that, you know, we know that this is uh, unprecedented time, but the best interest in the health of, you know, the children is the main priority. So, I mean, they just, they tried to issue, you know, additional guidance, um, but I think as Katie's mentioned several times, you know, the key is that the importance is that everybody wants the child to be able to see both parents as much as possible, given extreme circumstances. So what what about uh, folks that may have out of state parents? I mean, you're, you, one parent lives in Kentucky, another parent lives in Indiana. How is that sort of being determined? 
I can't speak to other states' executive orders, but um, generally I've kind of perused them and they almost all include some kind of exception for necessary travel for the care of minor children and so on. So at this point, I would say that they're mostly in line with Indiana's and that you know, dealing with your children is an essential function of life and you should continue as ordered, even across state lines. Now, you know, <laughs> there may there may come a time where that changes, but gosh, I hope not. But it, uh, you know, at that point, then my my information would change. So, what about spring break and summer vacation? Because this is obviously going to go into summer vacation. How are you seeing some things pop up around that at this point, Lindsay? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think there's been um, legitimate confusion based upon just the changes in schedule. So, you know, school let out early, schools, you know, not going back this year. And so what you have to remember is, is that when we set spring break and summer parenting time, that was set at the beginning of the year when the schools issued their school calendars. So you should still go to your school's, you know, school calendar and keep the same schedule. So everything outside of spring break and summer that was already planned is still the same. Essentially, that means that spring break, if it's two weeks for your school district, just because school was out doesn't mean that spring break is now five weeks. So there's e-learning time in there, um, you know, things like that that you have to remember. So spring break, Normal parenting time, summer parenting time should all remain the same as you planned at the beginning of the year. So what if the other parent wants to take the kid to Indiana Beach? What if they're going to just break the order and uh, take the kid uh, on vacation? What what do you do then? So, so that's um, obviously a violation of the stay-at-home order. Um, vacations, trips, they're not part of of, you know, what we would consider to be an essential activity. Um, so that, that would be a problem. There is a function on the um, Department of Health website, but that mostly relates to reporting businesses that are violating stay-at-home orders. There isn't really anything in particular for um, individuals doing that. So I would say that if you're in a situation with your, with an, your child's other parent where they are indicating that they're going to take the child to Florida for summer vacation or spring break. I guess that would be the more accurate example at this point. Then that would be a situation where if you can't work it out together, you probably need to um, bring it to the courts. Okay. So you mentioned child support and with, you know, 20, 30 million people newly unemployed, that's going to become a concern how does, what does one do if they've lost their job and they're unable to pay child support or they're uh, may get behind? Like how, how does that worked out in the courts or how should couples work that out? So the, um, this was included in the Supreme court order and kind of discussed this, but basically we know that's going to come up. What parents should try to do is pay what they can. So if that means that right now they can only pay $5, they are still making a good faith effort to pay child support. So what they should also do is, you know, it's not the easiest thing to do, but they should notify the court and ask for an emergency modification of child support. Because what happens potentially 
is that when everything calms down and they're able to get back in court and have their child support recalculated, that amount of child support will backdate to when that petition was filed with the court. So that can help somebody in this situation. I think that, you know, I again, I can't predict what the courts will do, but I do think that they're going to have to be flexible uh, given the economic state right now in our community. And I think that as long as parents really try and are making an effort, I think that they will look favorably upon that. Um, obviously, they're going to, you know, so many people are filing for unemployment, losing their jobs, out of jobs, furloughed, whatever it is. And I think that, you know, that's going to be a new issue that we're going to have to deal with when we get back into court. And so I, I don't really think anybody can predict how that's going to go right now. But I do think that there's going to be some flexibility around it. The overwhelming theme we've been getting from judicial officers, from lawmakers, from, from just about everywhere is let's just do our best. So, you know, if your best is, you know, keeping a receipt of sending money, you know, like keeping check records of sending a check, then that's what we do. Like, that's how we're going to handle it. And we will figure it out on the back end. Yep. Seems reasonable. Again, I'm talking to Lindsay Scott, president and CEO of Kids Voices of Indiana, and Katie Kelsey, director of the Children's Law Center of Indiana. Their website is kidsvoicein.org, and they have a great FAQ that is in the show notes on the podcast or at their website that gives some uh, advice, some guidance on custody and parenting time. Again, none of this is legal advice. Consult an attorney for your specific needs. Uh, so my final question is what is or about to start creeping in, which is what if one parent becomes sick or the child becomes sick with COVID-19, how should the courts or parents deal with the fact that let's say one of the parents is incapacitated potentially? Uh, who, who makes the medical decisions at that point? And, I mean, it's a sticky issue, but what, what are the discussions uh, ongoing about that? So the situation that you're worried about is a situation where there's no available parent left to care for a child or to make medical decisions for a child. You know, if there are two, you know, functioning parents, then if one parent is incapacitated, the other parent still has that ability to make decisions for the child. So what we're trying to encourage people to do is to plan ahead um, nobody wants to think that they're going to get this virus and that the worst will happen, but we've seen lots of cases of perfectly healthy people being hospitalized and completely unavailable to provide care and supervision or make decisions for their children. So we recommend making some kind of family safety plan in the event that a sole parent with no other involved parent you know, in the land you know, has or that you know, married parents or parents who are a functioning unit have so that they can make plans for the event that there's no one there to make decisions for the child. Um, you need to pick a person or several persons, you know, given the, the widespread nature of this pandemic, who can um, care for your children and who you trust to supervise them and give them the attention they need and to make medical decisions for them. You can accomplish that informally, or you can accomplish it more formally through a parental power of attorney, or even something like a standby guardianship. And those materials are on our website. So Katie has put up forms that parents can use and in some instructions. 
um, and those are coming in Spanish as well. And I think another thing to remember is even if you are in a co-parent relationship, so you're married or you're not married, but you have joint legal custody, you might want to talk to each other about what would happen if both of you got sick, um, you know, and, and still have a person. I think it's always good to have an emergency plan. My husband and I went ahead and figured out several backup caregivers for our kids because just in case that we are both unavailable, we need someone to be able to take care of them and to make decisions for them in case they get sick as well. Yeah, and I've had conversations with my family members about it as well. So final question to you both. What is the thing that you see on a daily basis that you wish everybody knew about your work? What, what would you say to people listening? Uh, you know, for me, I think what is so key for me about our work is how preventative it is. It's really hard to, you know, explain our impact when it's a prevention service. But by everything we do, we are essentially working to prevent children from being abused and neglected. And so whether we're directly providing best interest representation for a child as their advocate or whether it is providing the, you know, best practice legal information to a parent or a caregiver or a grandparent, they are then able to take that information and use it to protect that child. So really everything we do, um, you know, at the end of the day is about preventing child abuse and neglect. And that's why for me, it's so important and so unique as well. Are we seeing an increase in child neglect and abuse as everyone's staying home? Like, have you seen any statistics or anecdotal evidence that that's occurring? I've seen anecdotal evidence. Um, I'm hearing from police officers that they're having a lot more domestic violence runs and there are often children involved. And what is really concerning for us is that we've actually, compared to the same time last year, we've seen a dip in calls to the um, statewide child abuse and neglect hotline, which at first you're like, oh, that seems great. There's less calls. But the problem is, is that less people are making calls because there's no access to children. All of the people who would normally report child abuse and neglect, like teachers, counselors, friends, par other, you know, friends, parents, other people like that have been kind of ripped out of these children's lives and there are no extra eyes on kids. So we're really worried about what we will see on the back end of this. That's a really delicate issue because if you're the other parent and you suspect some form of abuse, neglect of some sort, I mean, how do you deal with that? How do you raise that in a way that doesn't look opportunistic? It's very hard. <laughs> yeah. What were you going to say, Lindsay? I was just going to say, yeah, Katie's right. It is very hard. Um, and so I think that, you know, in Indiana, I think everybody forgets that every single citizen of Indiana is a mandated reporter. So, you know, if you truly believe that your child is being abused or neglected, you have the obligation to report that to the hotline. So, you know, I think if you do that, you know, with a good faith and legitimate reason, um, you know, that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. But it is very tough. And they should also, you know, parents should keep in mind, too, what I had said earlier, that 
when we are on the other side of this, courts are probably not going to be overly thrilled with people who used this situation to their advantage and potentially exhausted resources like the Department of Child Services and placed those resources in danger by making claims that were not based in reality. Right. Okay. Uh, so, Katie, what is the one thing that you, you see daily that, man, I just wish everybody knew this? Uh Well, I would really, I would have to echo a lot of what Lindsay said for our own organization. And um, in the context of this particular uh, pandemic, I would say that I think that this is really illustrating how important community is to children. Children have had so many aspects of community removed from their lives, and now they are isolated into a very small unit and I think that this will really highlight how important it is for communities to work together to help protect children from abuse and neglect and other forms of endangerment. And I hope that in the end, some good can come out of that and more resources and time and attention and funding can be given to organizations like ours and other organizations across the states that help protect children. What are some things that either of you have seen that can help that with help help kids feel more community in this time? I mean, I've seen some beautiful things like uh, kids that have birthdays, their family has parades where they're driving by and honking, or you know, what are what are some things that you're seeing that kind of help solve that problem, Katie? So I have seen in my own neighborhood kids leaving messages for each other with chalk on sidewalk or on the sides of their houses. Um, I have seen families actually rearrange their backyards so that like playgrounds are near each other, but certainly far enough apart to be safe so that kids can kind of play on their playgrounds right across from each other. Um, There's been a lot of, in my house, a lot of Zoom dates with classmates. So they, you know, they listen to music and eat the same snacks together, you know, and they do crazy things like make faces and show each other the chewed up food in their mouths, whatever it is that kids do. So using technology, but then also using some more like old school methods of communication by, you know, two tin cans and a (laughs) a rope. (laughs) What about you, Lindsay? So one thing I've been seeing a lot of is like um, scavenger hunts. And reforming them in ways that, you know, because not everybody has access to computer or tablet or whatever it is. So within the home scavenger hunt, over the phone scavenger hunt, I've seen like a family tree one where you call, you know, different people in your family to get different information about, you know, who was born this year, or who's been to this state or whatever it is. I saw another one that was um, a gratitude scavenger hunt. So it was finding things, you know, in your life or in your home or in your backyard, you know, that you're grateful for in certain ways. So um, that's something I saw that I thought was pretty great. So when we're not in the middle of a pandemic, uh, and finally, I want to ask, what does Kids Voices of Indiana, like, what is your main focus? You're probably focused on a lot of issues right now surrounding this, but what are some of the day-to-day things that you mentioned a guardian ad litem system and supervised visitation? Those are maybe things that people have heard of. But you can, can you give a brief description of what those two entail? Absolutely. So the guardian ad litem program um, is very essential and 
to your listeners, I hope too, because we run that program using volunteers. So it is a fantastic way for somebody to get involved with our agency as a volunteer. And you do not need any background information or training. We train you in-house. And what they do is they serve as an advocate for children in family court. So these are kids that are going through divorces, adoptions, guardianships, or any kind of custody or parenting time dispute that's heard in Marion County Court, civil court. Um, And so we do that. We use volunteers who go out, meet with the families, do an investigation, meet the kids, counselor, parents, grandparents, talk to the teachers, and really provide the court with a holistic picture of what this child's life is really like and where would this child be the most safe and stable um, you know, at the end of the court case, basically. So we're helping the court system make these decisions for these children that are the best for them. Uh, and our staff attorneys then support those volunteers. We provide information in court. Uh, we put on our own case, just like a mom or dad or grandparent does. Um, but everything we do is for that child. So that program is really essential to doing that. Excellent. Well, uh, Katie, anything you wanted to add to that? Nope, that about sums it up. All right, perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Again, their website is kidsvoicein.org, and they have a great FAQ about custody, parenting time, and the COVID-19 pandemic, so please check that out. Please share this. Lindsay, Katie, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having us, Chris. Yes, thank you. Thanks for listening to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. If you missed any portion of our program, you can listen on our website, nowhearthisindy.com. If you'd like to have your organization featured on the show, please contact Gabby at 317-475-7407 or via the contact page on our website. Thanks for listening, and we will be back again next weekend with Now Hear This. Matt Whitliff and I are history nuts and news junkies, and we forever talked about how much history applies to modern politics, and we often fail to see the parallels in the past. So he and I have embarked on a long journey from antiquity to the present, where we're going to illustrate where our ancestors can help us build a better future. So subscribe now to the History of Modern Politics to get the full backstory on our current events. There are two episodes a month, and they're available now to subscribers of Wall Plus or at historyofmodernpolitics.com, or you can subscribe to the public podcast feed to get episodes in 2022.